0: In nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Grant us peace, O Lord, in our days, for there is no other who will fight for us, save but you, our God. The following is a reading from Don Prosper guerin The Liturgical Year. The Mass of Monday Thursday. Before I jump into this episode, I just want to briefly note that this Mass is the pre-1955 Holy Thursday Mass. And if you're going to Mass this Holy Thursday, more than likely it will be the 1955 Holy Thursday Mass. So it will not be exactly the same as this, although I still recommend you listen to this because it will show you what the Holy Thursday Mass traditionally was. The Church intends on this day to renew in a most solemn manner the mystery of the Last Supper, for our Lord Himself, on this occasion of the institution of the Blessed Sacrament, said to His Apostles, do this for a commemoration of me. Let us therefore resume the gospel narrative. Jesus is in the supper chamber where the paschal lamb is to be eaten. All the apostles are with him. Judas is there also, but his crime is not known to the rest. Jesus approaches the table on which the lamb is served. His disciples stand around him. The ceremonies prescribed by God to Moses are religiously observed. At the beginning of the repast, Jesus speaks these words to his apostles with desire, I have desired to eat this pasch with you before I suffer in saying this, he does not imply that the pasch of this year is intrinsically better than those that have preceded it, but that it is dearer to him inasmuch as it is to give rise to the institution of the new pasch which he has prepared for mankind, and which he is now going to give to them as his last gift, for as St. John says. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them unto the end. During the repast, Jesus, who reads the hearts of all men, utters these words which cause great consternation among the disciples. Amen, I say to you, that one of you is about to betray me. He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, he shall betray me. The sadness with which he speaks is enough to soften any heart, and Judas, who knows his master's goodness, feels that they imply a merciful pardon if he will but ask it. But no, the passion of avarice has enslaved his soul, and he, like the rest of the apostles, says to Jesus, Is it I, Rabbi? Jesus answers him in a whisper, in order not to compromise him before his brethren, Thou hast said it. But Judas yields not. He intends to remain with Jesus until the hour comes for betraying him. Thus the august mystery which is on the point of being celebrated, is to be insulted by his presence. The legal repast is over. It is followed by a feast, which again brings the disciples around their divine master. It was the custom in the East that guests should repose two and two on couches round the table. They have been provided by the disciple who has placed his house at Jesus's service. John is on the same couch as Jesus, so that it is easy for him to lean his head at his master's breast peter is on the next couch on the other side of jesus who is thus between the two disciples whom he had sent in the morning to prepare the pasch and who as we have already observed represent faith and love the second repast is a sorrowful one in consequence of jesus having told the guests that one of them is a traitor The innocent and affectionate John is overwhelmed with grief and seeks consolation on the heart of his dear Lord, whom someone is about to deliver to his enemies. But the apostles little expect a third supper. Jesus has not told them of his intention, but he had made a promise, and he would fulfill it before his passion. Speaking one day to the people, he had said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood abideth in me, and I in him. The time has come for the fulfillment of this his loving promise. But as it was both his flesh and his blood that he promised us, he waited till the time of his sacrifice. His passion has begun. He is sold to his enemies. His life is already in their hands. He may at once, therefore, offer himself in sacrifice and give to his disciples the very flesh and blood of the victim. As soon as the second repast is over, Jesus suddenly rises and, to the astonishment of his apostles, takes off his upper garment, girds himself as a servant with a towel, pours water into a basin, and prepares to wash the feet of the guests. It was the custom in the East to wash one's feet before taking part in a feast. It was considered as the very extreme of hospitality, when the master of the house himself did this service to his guest. Jesus is about to regale his apostles with a divine banquet. He wishes to treat them with every possible mark of welcome and attention. But in this, as in every other action of his, there is a fund of instruction. He would teach us by what he is now doing, how great is the purity wherewith we should approach the holy table. He that is washed, says he, needeth not But to wash his feet, as though he would say, The holiness of this table is such that those who come to it should not only be free from grievous sins, but they should moreover strive to cleanse their souls from those lesser faults which come from contact with the world and are like the dust that covers the feet of one that walks on the highway. We will explain further on the other teachings conveyed by this action of our Lord. It is with Peter, the future head of the church, that Jesus begins. The apostle protests. He declares that he will never permit his master to humble himself so low as this, but he is obliged to yield. The other apostles, who, as Peter himself, are reclining upon their couches, receive the same mark of love. Jesus comes to each of them in their turn and washes their feet. Judas is not accepted. He has just received a second warning from his merciful master, for Jesus addressed himself to all the apostles, said to them, You are clean, but not all. But the reproach produced no effect upon this hardened heart. Having finished washing the feet of the twelve, Jesus resumes his place side by side with John. Then taking a piece of the unleavened bread that had remained over from the feast, he raises his eyes to heaven, blesses the bread, breaks it, and distributes it to his disciples, saying to them, Take ye and eat, this is my body. The apostles take the bread, which is now changed into the body of their divine master, they eat. And Jesus is not only with them, but in them. But as this sacred mystery is not only the most holy of the sacraments, but moreover, a true sacrifice, and as a sacrifice requires the shedding of blood, our Jesus takes the cup, and changing wine into his own blood, he passes it round to his disciples, saying to them, Drink ye all of this, for this is my blood of the New Testament." which shall be shed for many unto remission of sins. The apostles drink from the sacred chalice, thus proffered them. When it comes to Judas, he too partakes of it, but he drinks his own damnation, as he ate his own judgment when he received the bread of life. Jesus, however, mercifully offers the traitor another grace by saying, as he gives the cup to his disciples, The hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. Peter is struck by Jesus thus frequently alluding to the crime, which is to be committed by one of the twelve. He is determined to find out who the traitor is. Not daring himself to ask Jesus at whose right hand he is sitting, he makes a sign to John who is at the other side and begs him to put the question. John leans on Jesus's breast and says to him in a whisper, Lord, who is it? Jesus answers him in an equally suppressed tone. He to whom I shall reach, bread dipped. And having taken one of the pieces of bread that remained over from the repast, he dipped it and gave it to Judas. It was one more grace offered and refused for the evangelist adds, and after the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus again dresses him, saying, That which thou dost do quickly. The wretch then leaves the room and sets about, the perpetration of his crime. Such is the history of the Last Supper, of which we celebrate the anniversary of this day. But there is one circumstance of the deepest interest to us, to which we have so far made only an indirect allusion. The institution of the Holy Eucharist, both as a sacrament and as a sacrifice, is followed by another, the institution of a new priesthood. How could our Savior have said, Except you, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you unless he had resolved to establish a ministry upon earth whereby he would renew even to the end of time the great mystery he thus commands us to receive. He begins it today in the cenacle; The twelve apostles are the first to partake of it, but observe what he says to them. Do this for commemoration of me. By these words he gives them power to change bread into his body and wine into his blood and this sublime power shall be perpetuated in the Church by holy ordination even to the end of the world. Jesus will continue to operate by the ministry of mortal and sinful men, the mystery of the Last Supper. By thus enriching His Church with the one and perpetual sacrifice, He also gives us the means of abiding in Him, for He gives us, as He promised, the bread of heaven. Today, then, we keep the anniversary not only of the institution of the Holy Eucharist, But also of the equally wonderful institution of the Christian priesthood. To offer the faithful an outward expression of the greatness and the unity of this supper, which our Savior gave his disciples and through them to us, the Church forbids her priests to say private Masses on this day, except in cases of necessity. She would have but one sacrifice to be offered in each church, at which the other priests are to assist and receive Holy Communion from the hands of the celebrant. When approaching the altar, they put on the stole the emblem of their priesthood. The Mass of Monday Thursday is one of the most solemn of the year, and although the Feast of Corpus Christi is the day for solemnly honoring the mystery of the Holy Eucharist, still the Church would have the anniversary of the Last Supper to be celebrated with all possible splendor. The color of the vestments is white, as it is for Christmas Day and Easter Sunday. The decorations of the altar and sanctuary all bespeak joy, and yet... There are several ceremonies during this Mass which show that the Holy Bride of Christ has not forgotten the passion of her Jesus, and that this joy is but transient. The priest intones the angelic hymn, Glory Be to God in the Highest, and the bells ring forth a joyous peal, which continues during the whole of the heavenly canticle. But from that moment they remain silent, and their long silence produces in every heart a sentiment of holy mournfulness." But why does the church deprive us for so many hours of that grand melody of these sweet bells, whose voices cheer us during the rest of the year? It is to show us that this world lost all its melody and joy when its Savior suffered and was crucified. Moreover, she would hereby remind us how the apostles, who were the heralds of Christ, and are figured by the bells whose ringing summons the faithful to the house of God, fled from their divine master and left him a prey to his enemies. The Holy Sacrifice continues as usual, but at the solemn moment of the elevation of the Holy Host and the chalice of salvation, the bell is silent, and outside the church, there is not given to the neighborhood the usual signal of the descent of Jesus upon the altar. When the time of the Holy Communion is near, the priest does not give the kiss of peace to the deacon, who, according to the apostolic tradition, should transmit it by the subdeacon to those who are about to communicate. Our thoughts turn to the traitor Judas, who on this very day profaned the sign of friendship by making it an instrument of death. It is out of detestation for this crime that the Church omits today, the signal of fraternal charity. It would too painfully remind us of the sacrilegious hypocrisy. Another rite peculiar to this day is the consecration of the two hosts during the Mass. One of these the priest receives in communion, the other he reserves and reverently places it in a chalice which he covers with a veil. The reason of this is that tomorrow the Church suspends the daily sacrifice, such is the impression produced by the anniversary of our Savior's death that the Church dares not to renew upon her altars the immolation which was then offered on Calvary, or rather, her renewal of it will be by fixing all her thoughts on the terrible scene of that Friday noon. The host reserved from today's Mass will be her morrow's participation. This rite is called the Mass of the Presanctified, because in it the priest does not consecrate, but only receives the host consecrated on the previous day. Formerly, as we shall explain more fully further on, the holy sacrifice was not offered up on Holy Saturday, and yet the Mass of the presanctified was not celebrated as it was on Friday. But although the Church suspends for a few short hours the oblation of the perpetual sacrifice, she would not that her divine spouse should lose aught of the homage that is due to him in the sacrament of his love. Catholic piety had found a means of changing these trying hours into a tribute of devotion to the whole Eucharist. In every church is prepared a richly ornamented side chapel or pavilion where, after today's Mass, the church places the body of her divine Lord. Though veiled from their view, the faithful will visit him in this, his holy resting place. Pay him their most humble adorations, and present him their most fervent supplications. Wheresoever the body shall be, there shall the eagles be gathered together. In every part of the Catholic world, a concert of prayer, more loving and earnest than in any other period of the year, will be offered to our Jesus, in reparation for the outrages he underwent during these very hours from the Jews. Around this anticipated tomb will be united both his long-tried and fervent servants, and those who are newly converted or are preparing for their reconciliation. At Rome, the station is in the Lateran Basilica. The Metropolitan Church, both of the Holy City and of the world, was deservedly chosen for this great day of the reconciliation of sinners and of the consecration of the Chrism. The papal function, however, now takes place at the Vatican, and, as we have already stated, the apostolic benediction is given by the sovereign pontiff from the Logia of St. Peter's Mass. In the Introit, the Church makes use of the words of St. Paul in praise of the cross of Christ. She is filled with gratitude for this, her Redeemer, who has made himself our salvation by dying for us, our life by the bread of heaven he has given us, and our resurrection by his having risen from the grave. We ought to glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is our salvation, life, and resurrection, by whom we have been saved and delivered. May God have mercy on us and bless us. May his countenance shine upon us, and may he have mercy on us. We ought to glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is our salvation, life, and resurrection, by whom we have been saved and delivered. In the Collect, the Church reminds us of Judas and the good thief. Both are guilty, and yet the one is condemned and the others pardoned. She prays for us to God that the passion of his Son, during which were thus shown the divine justice and mercy, may procure us the forgiveness of our sins and the fullness of grace. O God, from whom both Judas received the punishment of his sin, and the thief the reward of his confession, grant us the effects of thy mercy, that as our Lord Jesus Christ at the time of his passion bestowed on both different rewards according to their merits. So having destroyed the old man in us, he may give us grace to rise again with him. Lesson of the Epistle of St. Paul, the Apostle to the Corinthians, chapter 11. Brethren, when you come therefore together into one place, it is not now to eat the Lord's Supper. For every one taketh before his own supper to eat, and one indeed is hungry, and another is drunk. What? What? Have ye not houses to eat or drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and put them to shame that have not? What shall I say to you? Do I praise you? In this I praise you not, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and giving thanks, broke, and said, Take ye and eat. This is my body, which shall be delivered for you. This do for the commemoration of me. In like manner also the chalice, after he had supped, saying, This chalice is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye shall drink, for the commemoration of me. For as often as you shall eat this bread and drink the chalice, you shall show the death of the Lord until he come. Therefore whoever shall eat this bread or drink the chalice of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man prove himself And so let him eat of that bread, and drink of the chalice. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the body of the Lord. Therefore are there many infirm and weak among you, and many sleep. But if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But whilst we are judged, we are chastised by the Lord, that we be not condemned with this world. After having rebuked the Christians at Corinth for the abuses into which they had fallen at the feasts, called agape, which had been introduced by a spirit of fraternal charity, but were soon abolished, the Holy Apostle relates the history of the Last Supper. His account, which corresponds throughout with that given by the evangelists, rests upon the testimony of our blessed Savior himself, who deigned to appear to him and instruct him in person after his conversion." The apostle does not omit to give the words whereby our Lord empowered his apostles to renew what he himself had done. He tells us that as often as the priest consecrates the body and blood of Christ, he shows the death of the Lord, thus expressing the oneness there is between the sacrifice of the cross and that of the altar. We have explained this important doctrine in the sixth chapter of the introduction to this present volume. The consequence to be drawn from this teaching is evident. It is contained in these words of the Apostle. Let a man prove himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of the chalice. What could be more just than that, having to be initiated in so intimate a manner to the mystery of the redemption, and to contract so close a union with the divine victim, we should banish from our hearts sin and affection to sin. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood abideth in me, and I in him, says our Lord. Could there be a closer union, God and man abiding in each other? Oh, how carefully ought we to purify our soul and render our will conformable with the will of Jesus before approaching this divine banquet to which he invites us. Let us beseech him to prepare us himself, as he did his apostles by washing their feet. He will grant us our request, not only today, but as often as we go to Holy Communion, provided we are docile to his grace." The gradual is made up of those admirable words which the Church so often repeats during these three days, and by which St. Paul warms us to the gratitude towards the Son of God, who delivered himself up for us. Christ became, for our sake, obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. For which cause God also hath exalted him, and hath given him a name, which is above all names. Sequel of the Holy Gospel according to John, chapter 13. Before the festival day of the Pasch, Jesus, knowing that his hour was come, that he should pass out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And when supper was done, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he came from God and goeth to God, he riseth from supper and laying aside his garments and having taken a towel girded himself. After that he putteth water into a basin, and began to wash the feet of the disciples, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He cometh therefore to Simon Peter, and Peter saith to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, Thou shalt have no part with me. Simon Peter saith to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not but to wash his feet, but is clean holy. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who he was that would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. Then after he had washed their feet, and taking his garments, being sat down again, he said to them, Know you what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then I, being your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that as I have done to you, so you do also. Our Saviour is washing the feet of his disciples, before permitting them to partake of his divine mystery conveys an instruction to us the apostle has just been telling us that we should prove ourselves and here we have jesus saying to his disciples you are clean it is true he adds but not all just as the apostle assures us that there are some who render themselves guilty of the body and blood of the lord god forbid we should ever be of the number let us prove ourselves Let us sound the depths of our conscience before approaching the holy table. Mortal sin and the affection to mortal sin would change the bread of life into a deadly poison for our souls. But if respect for the holiness of God, who is about to enter within us by holy communion, should make us shudder at the thought of receiving him in the state of mortal sin which robs the soul of the image of God and gives her that of Satan, ought not the same respect to urge us to purify our souls from venial sins which dim the beauty of grace? He says, our Savior, that is washed, needeth not, but to wash his feet. The feet are those earthly attachments which so often lead us to the brink of sin. Let us watch over our senses and the affections of our hearts. Let us wash away these stains by sincere confession, by penance, by sorrow, and by humility, that thus we may worthily receive the adorable sacrament and derive from it the fullness of its power and grace. In the offertory antiphon, the soul confiding in the promise made to her by Christ that he will feed her with the bread of life, gives way to a transport of joy. She praises her God for this divine nourishment, which keeps death from them that eat. The right hand of the Lord hath displayed its might. The right hand of the Lord hath raised me up. I shall not die but live and publish the works of the Lord. In the secret, the Church reminds our Heavenly Father that the august sacrifice which she is now celebrating was instituted on this very day. We beseech Thee, O Holy Lord, Almighty Father, Eternal God, that our Lord Jesus Christ, Thy Son, may make our sacrifice acceptable to Thee, who on this day commanded His disciples to celebrate in its memory of Him. After the priest has received under both kinds, He puts into a chalice the host reserved for tomorrow. He then gives communion to the clergy and afterwards to the laity. As soon as the communion is finished, the choir sings the following antiphon, which tells us how Jesus prepared his his disciples for the great mystery by humbly washing their feet. The Lord Jesus, after he had supped with his disciples, washed their feet and said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? I, your Lord and Master, I have set you an example that you may do the same. Our Holy Mother prays for us in the post-communion that we may preserve in ourselves for all eternity the divine gift just bestowed on us. We beseech thee, O Lord, our God, that being nourished with this life-giving food, we may receive by thy grace in immortal glory what we celebrate in this mortal life. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. As soon as the Mass is over, a procession is formed to the place prepared for the Sacred Host, which is to be reserved for the morrow. The celebrant carries it beneath a canopy as on the feast of Corpus Christi. It is not, however, exposed as on that day of its triumph, but concealed in a chalice closely veiled. Let us adore this divine Son of Justice, whose rising at Bethlehem brought gladness to our hearts. He is now near his setting. A few hours more and his light will be eclipsed. Our earth will then be buried in gloom until on the third day he will rise again with renewed splendor. During the procession, the choir sings the well known hymn of the Blessed Sacrament Pange lingua gloriosi, corporis mysterium, sanguinisque pretiosi, quem in mundi pretium, fructus ventris generosi, rex effudit gentium. Sing my tongue the mystery of the glorious body and precious blood, that blood which the King of all nations, the fruit of Mary's womb, shed for the world's redemption. Nobis datus nobis natus, ex intacta virgine, et in mundo conversatus sparso verbi semine, sui moras incolatus mirlo clauis ordine. He gave himself to us, for us was he born from a pure virgin. He lived among men, sowing the seed of his word, and closed his career on earth by a gift of wondrous love. In supleme nocte cene, recubens cum fratribus, observata lege plene, cibus in legalibus, cibum turbe duodenne sedat suis manibus. On the night of the Last Supper, he assembled his brethren around him, and having observed the law and eaten the pasque prescribed, he with his own hands, gave himself to the twelve as their food. Verbum caro panem verbum verbor carnum efficit, fitque sanguis Christi merum et si sensus deficit, ad firmandum cor sincerum sola fides suficit. The word made flesh changes bread by his word into his own flesh, and the wine becomes the blood of Christ. Our senses fail us here, but faith has power to take all wavering from the Christian heart. Tantum ergo sacramentum veneremor cenui, et antiquum documentum novocedat ritui, prestet fides supplementum sensuum defectui. Let us therefore venerate this great sacrament in prostrate adoration. Let the ancient form give place to the new rite. Let faith supply what the senses cannot give. Genitori, genitoque, laus et jubilatio, salus honor virtus quoque, sit et benedictio, procedenti abutroque, comparsit laudatio. Be praise and jubilee to the Father and the Son, salvation, honor, power, yea, and benediction be to them, and to the Spirit that proceeds from both, be one coequal praise. Amen. Having reached the place prepared, The priest places the chalice upon the altar and senses the sacred host. The deacon takes the chalice and puts it in the tabernacle. After a short prayer and silence, the procession returns to the choir, and vespers are immediately begun. This office, which on feast days is celebrated with so much solemnity, is today and tomorrow deprived of everything that betokens joy. The psalms are recited without the slightest chant or even inflection. The church as a disconsolate widow mourns the loss of her Jesus. Vespers, Pater Nave, are said in secret. The first psalm alludes to the chalice of salvation, which Jesus prepared for his church by shedding his blood for our redemption. It was on this day at his last supper that he gave her the chalice of the New Testament. I will take the chalice of salvation, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 115. I have believed, therefore I have spoken, but I have been humbled exceedingly. I said in my excess, Every man is a liar. What shall I render to the Lord for all the things that he hath rendered to me? I will take the chalice of salvation, I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord before all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, for I am thy servant, I am thy servant and the son of thy handmaid. Thou hast broken my bonds. I will sacrifice to thee the sacrifice of praise and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the sight of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. I will take the chalice of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. The second psalm shows us our Lord patiently bearing the calumnies of his enemies and the trials of his earthly sojourn. With them that hated peace, I was peaceable. When I spoke to them, they fought against me without cause. Psalm 19. In my trouble I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. O Lord, deliver my soul from wicked lips and a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to thee, or what shall be added to thee, to a deceitful tongue? The sharp arrows of the mighty, with coals that lay waste. Woe is me that my sojourning is prolonged. I have dwelt with the inhabitants of Kedar. My soul has been long a sojourner. With them that hated peace, I was peaceable. When I spoke to them, they fought against me without cause. With them that hated peace, I was peaceable. When I spoke to them, they fought against me without cause. In the third Psalm, the Messiah complains of the perfidy of Judas and of the persecutions he met with from the synagogue. From unjust men, deliver me, O Lord. Psalm 139. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man rescue me from the unjust men who have devised iniquities in their hearts all the day long they designed battles they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent the venom of asps is under their lips keep me o lord from the hands of the wicked and from unjust men deliver me who have proposed to supplant my steps the proud have hid a net for me and they have stretched out cords for a snare they have laid for me a stumbling block by the wayside i said to the lord Thou art my God. Hear, O Lord, the voice of my supplication. O Lord, O Lord, the strength of my salvation. Thou hast overshadowed my head in the day of battle. Give me not up, O Lord, from my desire to the wicked. They have plotted against me. Do not thou forsake me, lest they should triumph. The head of their compassing me about. The labor of their lips shall overwhelm them. Burning coals shall fall upon them. Thou wilt cast them down into the fire. In miseries they shall not be able to stand. A man full of tongues shall be, not be established in the earth. Evils shall catch the unjust man unto destruction. I know that the Lord will do justice to the needy and will revenge the poor. But as for the just, they shall give glory to thy name. And the upright shall dwell with th- thy countenance. From unjust men deliver me, O Lord. The fourth psalm represents our Savior offering his prayer to God as evening incense. His hands are stretched out upon the cross. His bones are disjointed. The tomb which the psalmist here calls hell is soon to receive him as its victim. And yet he hopes in the promised aid. Keep me from the snare which they have laid for me and from the stumbling blocks of them that work iniquity. Psalm 140. I have cried out to thee, O Lord, hear me. Hearken to my voice when I cry to thee. Let my prayer be directed as incense in thy sight, the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, and a door around my lips. Incline not my heart to evil words, to make excuses for sins, with men that work iniquity, and I will not communicate with the choicest of them. The just man shall correct me in mercy, and reprove me, but let not the oil of the sinner fatten my head. For my prayer also shall still be against the things with which they are well pleased, their judges falling upon the rock, have been swallowed up. They shall hear my words, for they have prevailed, as when the thickness of the earth is broken up upon the ground. Our bones are scattered by the side of hell, but on thee, O Lord, Lord, are my eyes. In thee have I put my trust, take not away my soul. Keep me from the snare which they have laid for me, and from the stumbling blocks of them that work iniquity. The wicked shall fall in his net. I am alone until I pass." Keep me from the snare which they have laid for me and from the stumbling blocks of them that work iniquity. In the fifth psalm, the Messiah complains of being abandoned by all. No one takes his part. His enemies have him in their power and are determined he shall not escape. He turns towards his eternal father and beseeches him to to deliver him from the prison of the tomb into which he is soon to descend. I looked on my right hand and beheld and there was no one that would know me. Psalm 141. I cried to the Lord with my voice. With my voice I made supplication to the Lord. In his sight I poured out my prayer, and before him I declare my trouble. When my spirit failed me, then thou knewest my paths. In this way wherein I walked, they have hidden a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, and there was no one that would know me. Flight hath failed me and there is no one that hath regard to my soul. I cried to thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my hope, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my supplication, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name, and just wait for me until thou reward me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, and there was no one that would know me. As they were at supper, Jesus took bread, and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, because he hath regarded the humility of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, because he that is mighty hath done great things to me, and holy is his name, and his mercies from generation unto generation to them that fear him. He hath showed the might in his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the conceit of their heart. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath received Israel his servant, being mindful of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. As they were at supper, Jesus took bread, and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples. Christus factus est pro nobis, obedience usque ad mortem. Christ became, for our sake, obedient unto death. After the paternoster has been said secretly, the psalm miserere is recited with a suppressed voice. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy great mercy, and according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my iniquities. Wash me yet more from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my iniquity, and my sin is always before me. To thee, alone have I sinned, and have done evil before thee. I confess it, do thy pardon me, that thou mayest be justified in thy words, and mayest overcome when thou art judged. For behold, I was conceived in iniquities, and in sins did my mother conceive me. For behold, thou hast loved truth, the uncertain and hidden things of thy wisdom thou hast made manifest to me. Thou shalt sprinkle me with hyssop as a leper, and I shall be cleansed. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be made whiter than snow. To my hearing thou shalt give joy and gladness, and the bones that have been humbled shall rejoice. Turn away thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create a clean heart in me, O God, and renew a right spirit within my bowels. Cast me not away from thy face, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and strengthen me with a perfect spirit. I will teach the unjust thy ways, and the wicked shall be converted to thee. Deliver me from blood, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall extol thy justice. O Lord, thou wilt open my lips, and my mouth shall declare thy praise. For if thou hast desired sacrifice, I would indeed have given it with burnt offerings thou wilt not be delighted. A sacrifice to God is an afflicted spirit, a contrite and humble heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Deal favourably, O Lord, in thy good will with Sion, that the walls of Jerusalem may be built up. Then shalt thou accept the sacrifice of justice, oblations, and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they lay calves upon thine altar. The following prayer concludes the Vespers. Look down, O Lord, we beseech Thee upon this, Thy family, for which our Lord Jesus Christ hesitated not to be delivered into the hands of wicked men and to undergo the punishment of the cross. Then they rest in secret, who liveth and reigneth with Thee in the unity of the Holy Ghost, God, world without end. Amen. The stripping of the altars. As soon as vespers are over, the celebrant returns to the sanctuary. Assisted by the deacon and subdeacon, he goes to the altar and takes off the cloths and ornaments. This ceremony signifies the suspension of the Holy Sacrifice. The altar should be left in this denuded state until the daily offering can be again presented to the Divine Majesty. That is, when the spouse of the Holy Church shall arise from the grave, the conqueror of death. He is now in the hands of his enemies, the Jews, who are about to strip him of his garments, just as we strip the altar, He is to be exposed naked to the insults of the rabble. And for this reason, the psalm selected to be recited during this mournful ceremony is the 21st, wherein the Messiah speaks of the Roman soldiers dividing his garments among them. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they cast lots. O God, my God, look upon me. Why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my salvation are the words of my sins. O my God, I shall cry by day, And thou wilt not hear, and by night, and it shall not be reputed as folly in me. But thou dwellest in the holy place, the praise of Israel. In thee have our fathers hoped. They have hoped, and thou hast delivered them. They cried to thee, and they were saved. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man. The reproach of men, and the outcast of the people. And they that saw me have laughed at me to scorn. They have spoken with the lips, and wagged the head. He hoped in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him save him, seeing he delighted in him. For thou art he that hast drawn me out of the womb, my hope from the breasts of my mother. I was cast upon thee from the womb. From my mother's womb thou art my God. Depart not from me. For tribulation is very near, for there is none to help me. Many calves have surrounded me, fat bulls have besieged me. They have opened their mouths against me as a lion ravening and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are scattered. My heart has become like wax melting in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue hath cleaven to my jaws. And thou hast brought me down into the dust of death. For many dogs have encompassed me. The counsel of the malignant hath besieged me. They have dug my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. And they have looked and stared upon me. They parted my garments amongst them. And upon my vesture they cast lots. But thou, O Lord, remove not thy help to a distance from me. Look towards my defense. Deliver, O God, my soul from the sword, my only one from the hand of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, and my lowness from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare the name of my brethren in the middle of the church, Will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye, the seed of Jacob, glorify him. Let all the seed of Israel fear him, because he hath not slighted nor despised the supplication of the poor man. Neither hath he turned away his face from me, and when I cried to him he heard me. With thee is my praise in the great church. I will pay vows in the sight of them that fear him. The poor shall eat and shall be filled, and they shall praise the Lord that seek him. Their hearts shall live for ever and ever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and shall be converted to the Lord. And all the kindreds of the Gentiles shall adore in his sight. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he shall have dominion over the nations. All the fat ones of the earth have eaten and have adored. All they that go down to the earth shall fall before him, and to him my soul shall live, and my seed shall serve him. There shall be declared to the Lord a generation to come, and the heavens shall show forth his justice to a people that shall be born, which the Lord hath made. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they cast lots. After having stripped the high altar, the celebrant takes off the cloths from the other altars that are in the church. An air of desolation pervades the temple of God. The very tabernacle has lost its divine guest. The ciborium, in which the blessed sacrament is reserved for viaticum, has been taken to the place where reposes the chalice containing the body of our Lord. The majesty of our God has withdrawn to that mysterious sanctuary in which we enter not, but with silence and compunction. It was the custom in some churches for the priest to wash the altars in the afternoon with wine and water, which he sprinkled upon them with a branch of hyssop. This ceremony, which now has ceased to be observed in almost every church excepting St. Peter's in Rome, was intended as an homage offered to our blessed Lord in return for the humility wherewith he deigned to wash the feet of his disciples. We find it so explained by St. Isidore of Seville and St. Elgius, Bishop of Noyon. The Washing of the Feet After having on this day washed the feet of his disciples, Jesus said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then I, being your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that, as I have done to you, so you do also. Although the meaning of these words is that, after the example of our Divine Master, we should practice works of fraternal charity towards our neighbor, yet the literal imitation of this, our Savior's, act has always been observed in the Church. At the commencement, it was almost a daily practice. St. Paul, when mentioning the qualities which should adorn the Christian widow, include that of washing the feet of the saints, that is, of the faithful we find this act of humble charity practiced in the ages of persecution and even later. The acts of the saints of the first six centuries and the homilies and writings of the Holy Fathers are filled with allusions to it. Afterwards, charity grew cold, and this particular way of exercising it was confined almost exclusively to monasteries. Still, from time to time, it was practiced elsewhere. We occasionally find kings and queens setting this example of humility. The Holy King, Robert of France, and later St. Louis, used frequently to wash the feet of the poor. The Holy Queen, St. Margaret of Scotland, and St. Elizabeth of Hungary, did the same. The Church, with that spirit which makes her treasure up every recommendation of her Divine Lord, has introduced this act of humility into her liturgy, and it is today that she puts the great lesson before her children. In every church of any importance, the prelate or superior honors our Savior's condescension by the ceremony called the Washing of the Feet. The bishops throughout the world follow the example set them by the sovereign pontiff, who performs this ceremony in the Vatican. Yea, there are still to be found kings and queens who on this day wash the feet of the poor and give them abundant alms. The twelve apostles are represented by the twelve poor who, according to the most general practice, are chosen for the ceremony. The Pope, however, washes the feet of thirteen priests of as many different countries, and this is the reason... Of the ceremonial requiring this number for cathedral churches, but why thirteen? Some have interpreted it thus that it represented the full number of the apostolic college, which is thirteen, for Saint Matthias was elected in Judas's place, and our Lord Himself, after His ascension, called Saint Paul to be an apostle. Other authors, however, and among them the learned Pope Benedict the Fourteenth, asserted that the reason of this number being chosen was the miracle related in the life of Saint Gregory the Great. This holy pope used every day to wash the feet of twelve poor men, whom he afterwards invited to his own table. One day a thirteenth was present. It was an angel whom God had sent, that he might thereby testify how dear to him was the charity of his servant. The ceremony of the washing of the feet is also called the mandatum, from the first word of the first antiphon, after the deacon has chanted the gospel of the Mass of Monday Thursday. The celebrant takes off the cope, girds himself with a towel, and kneeling down begins to wash the feet of those who have been chosen. He kisses the right foot of each one after having washed it. Meanwhile, the choir sings the following antiphons. I give you a new commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you, says our Lord. Blessed are the Immaculate in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. I give you a new commandment, That ye love one another as I have loved you, says our Lord. After our Lord was risen from supper, He put water into a basin and began to wash the feet of His disciples, to whom He gave this example. Great is the Lord, and exceedingly to be praised in the city of our God and in His holy mountain. After our Lord was risen from supper, He put water into a basin and began to wash the feet of His disciples, to whom He gave this example. Our Lord Jesus after he had supped with his disciples washed their feet and said to them know you what I your lord and master have done to you i have given you example that ye also may do the same thou hast blessed o lord thy land thou hast delivered jacob from captivity our lord jesus after he had supped with his disciples washed their feet and said to them know you what i your lord and master have done to you i have given you an example that ye also may do the same Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, If I do not wash thy feet, thou shalt have no part with me. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, If I do not wash thy feet, thou shalt have no part with me. What I do thou knowest, not now, but thou shalt know it afterwards. Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, If I do not wash thy feet, thou shalt have no part with me. If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, how much more ought you to wash the feet of one another? Hear these things, all ye nations. Hearken to them, all ye that inhabit the world. If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, how much more ought you to wash the feet of one another? In this all know that ye are my disciples if ye have a love for one another," said Jesus to his disciples. In this all know that ye are my disciples, if ye have a love for one another. Let these three, Faith, Hope and charity, remain in you, but the greatest of them is charity. But now remain, Faith, Hope and charity, these three but the greatest of them is is charity. Let these three, Faith, Hope and charity, remain in you, but the greatest of them is charity. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, in undivided unity. We will praise him, because he has shown us his mercy. Let us bless the Father and the Son with the Holy Ghost. How lovely are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul desires and longs after the house of the Lord. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, in undivided unity. We will praise him, because he has shown us his mercy. After these antiphons, the choir sings the following canticle. It is a fervent exhortation to fraternal charity, of which the washing of the feet is a symbol. Where charity and love are, there is God. The love of Christ hath gathered us together. Let us rejoice in him and be glad. Let us fear and love the living God. And let us love one another with a sincere heart. Where charity and love are, there is God. When, therefore, we are gathered together, let us take heed. We be not divided in mind. Let wicked quarrels and contentions be at an end, and let Christ our God dwell among us. Where charity and love are, there is God. Let us also with the blessed see thy face and glory, O Christ our God, there to possess an immense and happy joy for endless ages. Amen. The celebrant herring resumed his Cope concludes the ceremony with the following prayers. Pater Noster. The rest of the Lord's prayer is said in silence as far as the last two petitions. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thou hast commanded, O Lord, that thy precepts be exactly observed. Thou hast washed the feet of thy disciples. Despise not the work of thy hands, O Lord. Hear my prayer, and let my cry come unto thee. The Lord be with you, and with your spirit. Let us pray. Accept, O Lord, we beseech thee this duty of our service, and since thou didst vouchsafe to wash the feet of thy disciples, despise not the work of thy hands, which thou hast commanded us to imitate, that as here the outward stains are washed away by us and from us, so the inmost sins of us all may be blotted out by thee, which be thou pleased to grant, who livest and reignest, one God forever and ever. Amen. In nomine Patris, affiliate Spiritus Sancti. Amen.